And today we're going to talk a little bit more about abundance. The scripture that you're going to hear this morning is, is, is very familiar. And it was interesting, one of the authors that I studied called it the great iconic secular verse. And yet here this is coming out of our scriptures. Most often the scripture we hear this, this, these words spoken in the midst of a funeral and believe this psalm is somehow about death when in fact it is not. This psalm as much as, as anything in scripture is about life. And we'll see that as we, as we move into this time of message. Find, notice the grammar as David reads. Notice the verbs. Notice the demands. Notice the questions. Don't get caught up in the familiarity. But hear it maybe again for the first time. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. Holy wisdom, holy word. It was Monday late morning. I was on my way to the hospital uh, to Swedish Cherry Hill to see to see Sarah Finstenmacher. And it was then, that was the first time that I'd heard about the incident in Boston. It was, it was an interesting feeling. Uh, and then coming home, you know, looking at the, the video and all that had happened and all the questions that were raised and amazing to see the images. And then on Wednesday, to hear the reports of this massive, almost atomic-like explosion in that tiny little town of West Texas, killing many and destroying apartments and schools and homes. And the chaos that erupted in both situations often, I think, maybe more often than not, fills us with doubt and anxiety and even fear. It was then Thursday, as I said, that I, that I made sure that I was available to watch the ecumenical service, the inner, interreligious service in Boston, and hear some of the differing voices coming out about the response that this ecumenical community had around the bombings. Truly amazing to see who came together for that and then to look through the audience, through the congregation, and see just the plethora of folks who were gathered there. But it was Governor Patrick's words that were most astounding to me. Because, as I said, in, in the beginning of his talk, what he said is that in his faith tradition, he has been taught throughout his life to give thanks in all things. Boy, I tell you, that made me pause. But then he went on to explain it. 
And he talked about the fact that in any situation of hate or violence, any tragedy of this nature, something happens within at least some of us. I remember looking and I talked about this to my Revelation class and seeing the Seattle Times picture. And I am not an inherent supporter of the Boston Globe. I think it is sensationalist journalism that they seek to provide. But this picture, captured by one of the photographers from the Boston Globe, was so poignant. That moment in time that was the perfect descriptor of where things were. On the edges of this picture, what you saw were people scattering away, at least most, running away from the bomb blasts. But then what the picture focuses on most are those who are taking action within the blast site. Those who had, as the governor said, run toward the explosion, run into the chaos, into the danger, toward not knowing what was going to come next, whether there may have been another bomb placed somewhere within that block. But for them, it didn't matter. For them, the issue wasn't about a bomb. For them, the issue was about saving lives. The picture was poignant in that there was a woman who was just up on one hand that was bloody. But off on the edge, you saw a figure coming toward her. There was a man just at the bottom of the picture. You couldn't see what was on the ground, thank God. But what you saw was the strength of his arm pulling up on what appeared to be a belt. And you knew immediately that what he was doing was applying a tourniquet. Off in the back where the windows were shattered was a figure right in front of those windows whose body was hunched over, but there was someone over them with their arm wrapped around. Others in yellow vests who were coming toward the situation, pulling the fences aside. Governor Patrick said, those are the ones where I find thanks. That's where in the midst of the chaos and terror, I can give thanks to God that among us are those folks who will consistently run toward a crisis. Others that were named there, and Dirk and I have talked about this, were the veterans in that group, whether they were runners or whether they were in the the sidelines of those watching this. Veterans for whom immediately when that blast sounded, all war memories came back. These are trigger points for our veterans that create an enormous sense of the PTSD, that post-traumatic stress disorder that comes out of battle. And yet they overcame that and went and became and created a, a, a triage center for those who had been most seriously injured. Then we watched as the events of the week unfold and and thousands upon thousands of law enforcement coming into play to try and make sure that this could not happen again. And yet, an MIT officer was killed. A car was hijacked, and thank God that the person in the car was let go. But then came Wednesday. And I will never forget the face of this very, very young EMT who talked about the events that happened in West, a town of, what, 2,400 people, and the explosion of a fertilizer plant that changed forever the lives of so many 
in the midst of that tragedy on the heels of the other. Talking about his friends and his co-workers who, again, the language of running toward the danger rather than away from it. And again, thanking God that there are those for whom this is their call. And this is such a natural part of who they are. I've rewritten this sermon probably nine times this week, given the events that have taken place. Because the sermon is supposed to be on Sabbath as resurrection, and yet in the midst of it all, realize that that, as much as anything, is what we need to be understanding right now. Because that was not all that happened this past week. Other than the earthquakes and some other things that have happened around the world, last Monday was tax day. I'm glad that you chortle. But for many, that is one of the highest days of anxiety for them, particularly those who wait till the last minute to file their taxes. But that's not all. I looked at Kate Ingalls, who was sitting right there where Nicholas is sitting at first service, and, you know, she's a teacher. And last Monday was also the Monday after spring break, which is never pleasant for teachers or administrators or schools. But Monday was that day. Also realizing, if you follow the stock market, that last week was the day where the first quarter earnings reports came out. And so it was so interesting to see the volatility of the stock market in the midst of all that, that the first quarter earnings to see where our economy was. Last Tuesday, our finance committee met to just check the pulse of the church. I mean, more and more. And if that's not enough, this is also the week that that so many people go out and they buy their gardening supplies and they really begin to take seriously that it's time to plant or time to weed or time to garden. Or for the STP writers, it's it's well past time to ride. (laughs) It's one of those weeks, isn't it, where it just feels as though there's so much going on that we just get so caught up in all of it. Whether it's school or stock market or... The, the events that have surrounded us throughout this past week. It's been a week to stop and take stock. To stop and pause for a few minutes to see where we are, what we are, who we are, whose we are, who are we in relationships with, and where do we feel or where do we come down on the situations that have surrounded us. So I want to stop for a few moments this morning. And I want to look at this psalm in the midst of all of this. Look at this psalm one more time. Again, what I said is one scholar I was reading calls this psalm an American secular icon because of its use so often, no matter where it is, in times of death. And yet if we unwrap this psalm, it certainly has more to do with life than it does with death. Look at this psalm. And if you want to follow it, take out your hymnal and turn to the back and all the psalms are back there and just find the 23rd and you'll see the language here. At the very beginning, what this psalm says is, the Lord is my shepherd. In this time, Lord and King were interchangeable. And it was the responsibility of the Lord or the King to make sure that subjects or those that followed have everything they need in order to live. 
They don't need to be prosperous. It's not about that. It's not about success. It's about provision. And to have the Lord as your shepherd means that this shepherd takes the responsibility. Takes the responsibility for making sure that all have what they need. Thus, the rest of that sentence that says, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. God first. The other thing I did this week in looking at some of this was looking at, um, remember back in high school, I'm looking at our high school teachers and administrators and some of you, and remember in high school psychology, or even in college, Psychology 101, we were introduced to Maslow's hierarchy of need. Remember that pyramid? And at the base of that pyramid are the kind of foundational needs for food, water, shelter, and warmth. That kind of security that we have. But that's not it. The next level up provides that one of the basic needs, among the basic needs we have are safety, security, and freedom from fear. Wow. This week? Freedom from fear. But it is amazing to me to look at this psalmist some thousands of years ago writing words that deal directly with Maslow's hierarchy of need. And believe me, they were not contemporaries. The other thing, as I said, notice the language in the midst of this song, particularly if we begin to work our way down. Notice the modal auxiliary verbs. Notice the, the, the nouns and the, the other verbs and the adjectives that describe the action-oriented pieces of these statements. Notice that the next statement is what? God asked me if sometime I might want to lie down in a green pasture? Is that the language that you've heard? What does the language say? God makes me lie down in green pastures. Green pastures. God makes me lie down. Is there any option here? Is this a demand that God is making of us? And yet, what do we do, most of us? We absolutely ignore this statement. And if it's convenient for us, if we can carve out the time in our exceptionally busy lives, maybe then, if something else doesn't come up, maybe, maybe, I'll take a little time to just stop and rest for a minute. That's not what this psalm says. This psalmist says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And in the midst of that, God makes me lie down in green pastures. For Jews, it is not an option. A Sabbath, that time of creating the laying down in green pastures is not optional. I'll come back to that in just a second. But it doesn't stop there. God then leads me to what? Still waters. Let me tell you a little bit more about sheep. You know, I love sheep because they're just so stupid. <laughs> Do you know that a sheep, a sheep will not drink from any water that isn't absolutely still? A sheep will not go to a creek or a river because it's, it's just... It's just too hard. 
Even if the sheep is beginning to drink from a lake and a little breeze comes up, whoa! The sheep panics and backs away from the water. The only time a sheep will drink is when the water is absolutely still. Shepherds would go out of their way to find those those small water sources where the water could be still. Let me say it again. Shepherds go out of their way to locate those small water sources where the sheep will drink. But then the sheep will drink. Where are your water sources, friends? Not only where are you lying down in green pastures and being in awe of creation, When's the last time you went to find that place of stillness, of calm, of quiet, of comfort, where you too could drink? Because without those two elements, without that Sabbath, and within that Sabbath, that calmness, that place of being quenched by the river of God, there is absolutely no way that our souls can be restored. Notice where this sentence falls. God restores my soul. Wow. Somehow we think this psalm is about peace and tranquility. It's not. It's about taking appropriate action so that we might sense God in the midst of our busy lives, knowing that God provides all things for us if we but take the time to realize that provision. Because then there's the next sentence, which is, God guides me. And by the way, it doesn't say, God guides me down the busy highway of I-5 or 405. God doesn't take me down Newport Way. God takes me down a path. Again, the language is so important here. And a path is not wide, a path is narrow. And often if we're out in the wilderness, you need a guide to guide you along that path to know what comes next. But you still have to follow that guide, otherwise you get lost. It is through that time of lying in green pastures, of seeing the still waters, of soul restoration that we suddenly have our eyes open to the path narrow, guided path that God seeks to lead us down so that we might recognize all the other things. And the only way that I know of to have any of that happen is to stop and take the time. And there is no more important time to do this than times like this, where explosions have surrounded us all week. Two bombs and a fertilizer plant. Where life has been lost And our security or our feelings of security in the midst of those explosions have sometimes been shattered. And what it naturally does is raise fear and anxiety within us in these kinds of times. Wondering, hmm, what might be next? I will tell you, Dorothy and I even talked about the writing of the STP and the anxiety over that large 10,000 gathering of cyclists and all that goes with it. And yet the other thing that our president and that the governor said is that we will not be swayed and we will not live our lives in fear. That's all well and good, 
if you have something that will help you deal with that fear. This is that something. If we don't take that time, what has a tendency to happen is our anxieties and our fears overcome us. And we feel as though our enemies, our enemies are in charge. They are not. And we can have peace around a dinner table, even in the midst of times like this. Because as we take this time of Sabbath, our cup overflows. Our cup overflows because of the abundance of God. Let me close with this thought. If we look at the word Sabbath in this, and if you turn back to the first chapter of Genesis and the word Sabbath, What's interesting is there is no word in the English language that, that, that ad- adequately defines Sabbath. And so the, the only word that we could come to terms with is, uh, those Bible translators was the word rest. But rest does not describe Sabbath. God did not need to take a nap. God did not need to rest. What God did was take a step back and stand in awe. So let me try and give some some other verbiage that will help us maybe understand this and why we need to do this. God stood back, if you will, depending on how you come down on the creation story, and stood in awe of the order that had been created. One of my favorite movies, and this says a lot, but, but one of my favorite movies is The Last Samurai. Um, as violent as that may seem, there are undergirding things. The word samurai means servant, but in this movie the old samurai are being overtaken by, by modernity. And, and, and yet a lieutenant is captured and, and through his kind of recovery time, he is in this village filled with samurai. And at one point, the general, Takamoto, who is a samurai, the leader of the samurai, is standing there and spring has now come to full fruition and there are cherry blossoms emerging from the trees. And the young lieutenant, played by Tom Cruise, looks at him as trying to figure out what in the world this guy is doing because all he's doing is staring at a tree. Takamoto sees this and looks at him and says, you need to understand, my young friend, that this, the beauty that you see before us, is the beauty of creation. That I will spend my lifetime looking for the perfect blossom." And no matter who you may be, if you do that with your life, your life will be well spent. At the end of the movie, he says, Takamoto says, they're all perfect. What we need to do is notice them. Gosh, if I could, if I could, if I had the power and the authority to do this, I would require every one of us to take a Sabbath. I can't even begin to imagine how that would change us as a church. And if all in the world decided that this was important to spend time studying a cherry blossom and look at the intricate patterns 
the miraculous way that that bursts forth. Or to look at the grandeur of the mountains and think about the power that was exerted to create that upheaval. (coughs) But to look at the beauty of the order of it all. (coughs) Or (laughs) to even take a moment and look at the miracle represented in this simple (coughs) box of what can happen with the right things placed in the right place at the right time to cause miraculous growth even inside a building. When was the last time you took a Sabbath? When will be the next time that you will commit to being refilled by the power of God and allow God to fill you in such a way that then you can fulfill the next three sets of Maslow's hierarchy of need. And you know what those deal with? Belonging, the finding of self, and the realization of your uniqueness in the midst of all that is creation. When, when will you commit to doing this? Will you pray with me? God, you have been present in the midst of it all. You have been present in the midst of it all. In the midst of the explosions in Boston, you were there encouraging those to run toward the situation. In the midst of the explosion in West, you were there filling the needs of those who were running into and those most affected by that tragedy. In the midst of each of our lives, you are there. You are here surrounding us with your ever-present love and grace and hoping that we will open ourselves so that we too might find peace in a way that would allow every single one of us to run toward need rather than away. On the midst of this earth day, it is what you require of us, but we can't do it when we're tired or overstressed or overwhelmed. So I ask that you help each of us to be refilled and to take the time that you require of us to stop, to breathe, to be renewed by the power of your Holy Spirit. All this in the one who did it better than anyone in history, Jesus Christ. Amen.